0: I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, September 14th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to twenty-two. Moses instructs Israel on a variety of matters: divorce, theft, debt, and more. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Greg Truey. Pastor Truey serves at Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri. Pastor Truey, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. As we get started today, Pastor True, let's talk a little context as we prepare to look at Deuteronomy 24. What should we know about the book and what Moses has been up to leading up to this text?
1: Yeah, sure. So Deuteronomy 24 is in sort of a wide uh, section of the book, which is sort of civil or even domestic laws. Um, and so what we're going to find today in today's text is um, it's almost you might say, random domestic laws or random laws for the household. And it, it, there doesn't appear to be any coordinating theme other than, okay, now there are a bunch of little things that are going to happen in your lives that you need instruction about. And, um, and so that's kind of where we are in the book. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was reading the commentary uh, for Deuteronomy in preparation, and uh, Hartstadt makes this interesting point about the book in general, but I think this applies to like where we are in the book, is he says that Deuteronomy is largely sanctification preaching. And as Lutherans, um, we don't, that's not our comfort zone, you might say. Uh, we're strong on justification. Christ died for us. We are forgiven sinners. But then we sort of have have a hard time when the pastor um, wants to instruct us, uh, because we we know that the law always accuses, and so sometimes we we make the mistake of thinking that the law only accuses, but the law also instructs, and so Deuteronomy is instruction for israel and israel is saved by grace through faith through the promise of the gospel god has established himself as their people as their god they are his people by the covenant promises by his exodus redemption and so uh now as his people firmly established and given this status by grace he also instructs them on how to live. And these instructions are intended to guide them when they're in the promised land too and when they have their own land and and their own property. Mm-hmm. So we need to become comfortable with hearing instruction. I mean if you read the New Testament, Paul's not afraid, Peter's not afraid, John's not afraid, Jesus isn't afraid to instruct those whom he has already called
0: that's right that's right and so we have that instruction for old testament israel in deuteronomy 24 this word of god given for when they were going to the promised land and yet words that still speak god's word to us as well so we're looking at deuteronomy 24 the miscellany here. I mean, there is a lot of different topics kind of all coming together. Moses is getting toward the end of this long second sermon. And so he is covering a variety of matters here. Some of this text will sound familiar. Some of it may not. We've got the whole chapter this morning, Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers or the of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him... Then that thief shall die, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care, in a case of leprous disease, to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside. And the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt." Therefore, I command you to do this. That's our texture today. That's Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 22. All right, Pastor Truy, you mentioned St. Paul earlier. St. Paul is known for his run-on sentences, and Moses <laughs> starts with a really long sentence. I, I didn't realize just how long that sentence was until I started reading it out loud. He's talking about divorce in the first four, but it's very. it, it takes some sorting out. So help us into what Moses is talking about in those first four verses.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's kind of interesting. We have a, we have a, a hypothetical situation um, and the if is the indicator there. And it's important to remember that. Um, so when a man takes a wife and, and marries her, uh, if then, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Um so, He's dealing here with a situation where uh, divorce has already occurred and he's going to give instructions so the first uh, three verses here are all setting up the scenario and he finally gets to then what to do about it right Right. and and so um, it's really kind of interesting because we can we can misread this pretty easily where we think Moses is actually commanding them to give certificates of divorce or even, like, putting a new law in place where a certificate of law is a good thing. And in fact, it appears that, um, you know, centuries after this uh, text was written by Moses, that Jesus' own opponents are reading it that way so in matthew 19 or mark 10 this is the very text that they have in mind when they come uh, to jesus to challenge him on the issue of divorce and they're misreading this text uh your your reader or your hearers may be quite familiar with matthew 19 uh where the um i'm trying to turn to it quickly here um where the the pharisees come to him and and they say well you know why did moses command and they say command uh, a certificate of divorce uh, to be given for any reason which is kind of interesting right Mm -hmm. that's how they're they're saying it and uh so um let me just read the text there there um why then did moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away in fact, Moses isn't commanding them to do this. Yeah. Uh, as if every time a man would find something about his wife that he didn't like, he should divorce her. Well, Jesus doesn't fall for the for their bait, because Jesus doesn't misread Exodus 24. And so he responds there in Matthew 19 by saying, uh, well, because of your hardness of heart... Moses allowed you Mm. to divorce your wives. Well, the Lord commanding a thing and the Lord allowing a thing are two different matters, right? Yeah. Uh, So if if you have children and you tell them, you must eat your broccoli tonight, (laughs) right? That's a command. Mm-hmm. They are bound to do it. They must eat their broccoli or they're sinning against their father, right? If you say, uh, Child, you are allowed to eat your broccoli, I promise you they <laughs> will know the difference.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> and they will know, I don't really have to eat my broccoli. He said, I'm allowed to. That means I'm also allowed not to, right? Mm. And this is what Jesus actually instructs them He says, Moses allowed you to. To divorce but then he takes them all the way back to genesis and he says but from the beginning you weren't allowed Hmm. in fact from the beginning it wasn't so so in fact whoever divorces his wife not because they've seen something in her that they don't like and we'll talk about that in a second but except for sexual immorality and then marries another in any other situation though it was allowed because of their hardness of heart. In fact, God is not pleased. It's still committing adultery. Mm.
0: Yeah, this is a really important point, particularly in the way that this text does come up in the New Testament, as you mentioned, been there in Matthew 19, and again in Mark 10 in the parallel. That there is a, a difference between Moses commanding. That's not what he's doing here. This is Moses allowing, and the the there is a there is a command in the sense, but it comes later when it comes to the matter of who can she get remarried to, and, and particularly she can't get remarried to the first husband. So, I mean, it's it's a very long situation. When you finally come to an actual command, it's actually a command about not being remarried to a particular husband rather than any of the divorces that took place to even get you to where that command comes in verse four. And so it is a very important thing that, that Jesus does there. And the way that he shows us how to read this is is very significant, I think, as well. It's particularly what he says there about that Moses gave this allowance because of the hardness of heart. And I think that's an important thing to see not only in this text, but in other places in Deuteronomy as well, that just because the Lord gives this law for his people, doesn't mean that he likes the fact that divorce is happening. Rather, he is, recognizing the people's hardness of heart. And he puts this law in place so that the hardness of heart doesn't end up destroying society as a whole, but he puts limits on where that sin would take them. And I think it, you know, you mentioned the sanctification aspect of this text. Sometimes we talk about the third use of the law, that instruction here. We're also seeing, I think the first use of the law, the curbing nature of it, that it mm-hmm. he's limiting the the effects of sin on society.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, sometimes we, we deal with this as, as, as pastors or um, parents deal with this or I mean I think all Christians deal with this where like you're presented with a situation where uh, it's already fallen apart yeah right the sins have already been committed and now you're you're dealt with a with sort of picking up the pieces right uh, you know unfortunately quite often as pastors we find out about a, the the divorce mm-hmm. after the fact right. And regrettably, then, there's very little we can do, but it's sort of like, now, where do we go now? Or, for example, uh, people who had previously been divorced and now have heard the gospel and been converted and become Christians are sort of like, oh, man, you know, had I known this 10 years ago, uh, uh, you know, before my marriage was broken— Uh, I might've made different choices. What do we do now? Right. And, and you, so, so in in this case, right. um, Moses is talking about a situation where the, the divorces have already occurred, Mm. you know? So like, what do you do now? Well, you don't go back to the man who sent her away. Yeah. Right. He's already proven himself to be an unfit husband. Mm. Right. And I think that's the reason. Um, Now, I don't know if we we got a long chapter. I don't know how much time we have, but
0: this, well, um, I know you mentioned you wanted to talk about at least. I think the the phrase in the ESV translates that he found some indecency in her, and that that phrase is also behind the debate that Jesus gets or they try to draw Jesus into in the Gospels. I think you wanted to talk a little bit about that, so that's I where I was going to take us next. Go ahead.
1: Right, like so. Sometimes we're so so in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus allows for a divorce. Uh, in a situation of adultery, right? Where the Pharisees are sort of reading this, and, and it's so obvious that they understand that sort of certificates of divorce are sort of taken to be able to be given about just anything that we find to be unsatisfactory about the wife, right? Or the woman. And and that's, that's shameful, <laughs> right? And so this nakedness of a thing, right? Like, what is this... Sh- uh, you know, something shameful about uh, a woman, right? And so there's—the rabbis don't all agree here about what this phrase means, um, but it, it's sort of like he has seen the the nakedness or the, the sort of the sheer um, dissatisfactory of a moral failure in the woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so— there's sort of a you know is this uh, just adultery or is it sexual activity that wasn't technically adultery but was still defiling of a of a nature uh, there there are actually lists right is it outright adultery uh cultic offenses right we know that sometimes Israelites would engage in oh like the Oh, like in the book of Numbers when they engaged in the cultic fertility rites of the Moabites, right? That that would be um, indecent. Um, an inability to have children. Some rabbis think that that might be it, where now all of a sudden the man finds his wife to be not satisfactory because she can't have children or she has an abnormality of, of, of some physical feature that might actually affect their one-flesh union. Uh, so there's this whole list of sort of what is this indecency in her, and by the time you get to Christ, the Pharisees have misunderstood this so badly that they yeah. think anything can be an inde- indecency, right? Yeah. Anything qualifies for divorce, kind of like in America, right? No-fault divorce, it's tragic.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and I think what what's interesting about, you know, running through like all these debates that are out there, and especially as they get to Jesus, you know, you can get lost in those weeds. And the the wonderful thing about the way that Jesus does respond to the Pharisees attempting to bring this text before him is he does take it back to the beginning. And he you know, he says, Look at look at the good thing that God gave you in marriage in the first place. Start there. And if you start there, then you'll understand what Moses was doing here in Deuteronomy 24. And you'll also really understand the the way forward when it comes to the question that they ask. And he doesn't end up playing their their game of case law, which, you know, as, as you pointed out, there is a time in pastoral care, what we call matters of casuistry, where we do try to figure out, okay, we're in this situation. How do we live according to God's word where we are? And that, that is, that's appropriate under the situation of pastoral care. But with Jesus, I mean, just the wonderful thing he does there in the gospels is that he helps us start those conversations in the right place, which isn't from an allowance against what, you know, to try to prevent hardness of heart from taking over. But he starts us, start with the gift, start with the goodness of marriage. And, and if you start there, then you're more likely to end up in a God-pleasing place than if you start with, well, let's just try to, we, I just want to get out of this and be done with it. You're much less likely to end up in the right place there.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I think how much more, right, with uh, the further revelation of like Paul in Ephesians 5 or John in 1 John, uh, where we know that the call of the husband is to love his bride as Christ loves the Church. So while adultery may actually sort of sever or break the marriage in such a way that it may be irreparable— Which is why christ allows it right you've sort of redefined marriage when you involve a third person in it um but in fact if you find something in your spouse that is uh a weakness an indecency a a difficulty about her or him all the more reason to love her as christ loves us who are all indecent right i mean like so, the indecency of your spouse isn't a cause for divorce, but is a call to love mm. and we're going to see more of that through the rest of the chapter that in fact, where God's people are called to love the one in need, and a woman who has some um, failure about her or some shortcoming or whatever needs to be loved by her husband, not abandoned by him. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate the way that you, you also are taking us toward the goodness of the gift of marriage and the, the godly call that, that he gives to us in that vocation, whether husband or wife to live in that and for the husband then to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That is the good gift that he has given. And I, I think it's no accident, then, that in verse 5, Moses doesn't entirely jump around all over the place in this text. Verse 5 does also deal with marriage, and from a much more positive aspect yeah. than, than what's in verses 1 to 4. That Tell us about verse 5.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to actually learn to love your wife, and the wife is going to learn to receive that and love her, honor her husband, Right that's going to take some time. Mm. And so verse five actually is an order from the Lord to give the newlywed couple a year to kind of lay down the foundation of what it's like to live as a family. Right? Mm. So like in creation, uh, the husband leaves his family and holds fast to his wife and the two now become a new family, right? They become a new flesh union that creates a family with a likelihood of children. And um, so it's kind of, you know, when my wife and I got married, uh, we we did not take a year to sort of do nothing but work on the family, right? We right. graduated from college, we moved to St. Louis, I started summer Greek, we, you know, moved twice, I think, and uh, it was stressful, but somehow the Lord was merciful to us, and, 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 Brought us closer together through that, but it's kind of a wonderful affirmation of the importance, and I would say primacy, of holy marriage, that in fact the husband is not allowed to leave his wife and go to battle for that first year, but must stay home and be a husband Mm. for his wife. It's beautiful. Mm.
0: I, I think so too. And, and it does, it does put the, it, it does put the family and the role of husband and, and, and wife by, by connection mm-hmm, yeah. into the, into the proper place, because there, there is a temptation to think about the, the public life. That's what really matters. And so, you know, I mean, it particularly, it says, army and other public duty here. But I, I think for, for us today we should think of, you know, the the public life. So it's like, boy, your your job, your, your job of doing summer Greek at the time. That's what's really important. And you need to focus on that. And God bless you for doing that in summer Greek. I had the had the advantage of studying that in college over the course of years. So <laughs> you 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 took it all through a fire hose there in, in a summer. But I mean the the temptation is to think, well this is the really important work that I'm doing is I, I'm I'm doing my summer Greek. I'm preparing to be a pastor that high calling and not to minimize that by any means, but to see the importance of marriage that, that God says, no, no, that first year you, you just, you'd be a husband and, and do that godly work of being a husband, which, you know, we're prone to undervalue. Certainly our world is prone to undervalue. He really does put that married estate in the, in that top spot. And it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And I think should comfort us when we go about what seems to be that lowly work of, you know, being a husband, being a wife. God values that, and he shows that in this verse.
1: Yeah, and and I might just say this, too, lest we sort of exalt all work um, and and equate it to military mm-hmm. service, right? Like, sure. Studying summer Greek, while it may have been rigorous, it was, <laughs> by the way, tremendous blessing, and those were fond times, but... I, I wasn't going to class causing my wife to wonder if I was going to come home that day.
0: Mm, true, yeah.
1: Right? And, and so when a, a new family is established and a husband and wife become one, the Lord is actually—you um, know, his, his desire was for the husband and, and wife to multiply. Yeah. Right? And so if, if you immediately remove the husband or put his life at risk— that's that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, the like, what is at jeopardy is 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 the ability for the husband and wife to multiply, hmm. yeah. and for more life to be given, right? And and that's you know when when you know it's beautiful to think about marriage, and uh, the the husband and wife giving themselves, and life proceeds from that, yeah. right? From selfless love, life proceeds, and I think that's one way that we bear the image of God in, in marriage, yeah. um, and and so the Lord is allowing that to happen, and not allowing um, a very dangerous vocation, military service, to put that at risk. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: Because, I mean, I don't think they were going to stop plowing. Sure. I don't think sure. they were going to stop reaping. In fact, we're going to get to that too, right? Like, yeah. So it's not like they didn't do any work, but the it husband... It wasn't
0: a year-long honeymoon.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Ah.
0: At least since it's a vacation, right right no and i I, yeah. I, re, I think that is that is a that's well said, and particularly in the context of these people about to go into the promised land in yeah. which you know they know battle is going to be a, a big part of that, you know the Lord says, your life as a family is you need to take care of that and I'll take care of the battle. I, I got it. <laughs> and of course, you, you see that in the book of Joshua, how the Lord often uses uh, unusual battle tactics because he is the general. His people follow him. So we're going to keep talking about this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFO. We're looking at Deuteronomy 24 with Pastor Greg Truy We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 14th. We're studying Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 22 with Pastor Greg Truey. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri. Pastor Truey, prior to the break, we we're talking about those first two sections with both. Both do deal with marriage, one from a negative aspect, the other from a positive. And both God shows how highly he values marriage and family. In verse 6, we start to get a little bit more hodgepodge, although there's not all unrelated. Verse six talks about taking pledges and particularly not taking a mill or an upper millstone. What's going on in verse six?
1: Yeah, right. So this whole idea of like neighbors doing business together and maybe even having a debt to a, a, a brother or a neighbor, right? Because we're dealing with how we relate to Israel here, not how we deal with the pagans, hmm. uh, the outsiders. But um so when you when you make a deal, or if someone owes you something in the deal, you're not going to take advantage of your brother in such a way that he's not going to be able to make ends meet or continue to be able uh, to work. You see, when you have uh, when you need to grind feed, right, or grind grain, you have to have two stones. So if you if you make a pledge where you take your neighbor's upper millstone or you take the mill entirely you've rendered the neighbor unable to do his work at all yeah and so you cannot engage in a in a business deal where you cause your neighbor to be unable to make a living
0: hmm. all right yeah so a care for the neighbor, particularly the one that's very easily taken advantage of, the poor one. If you do this, you're going to take his livelihood away, and that's not allowed. So, verse seven then deals with stealing. It sounds like it sounds like kidnapping. I don't think that the ESV doesn't use that term, but that's what it sounds like. Is that what is that what's being forbidden in verse seven?
1: That's that's exactly what's being uh, forbidden here. So, stealing one of your brothers. Um, now you probably talked about Deuteronomy being sort of a recapitulation mm-hmm. of the law or the Torah. So this is similar, or almost exactly the same as what God said in Exodus 21, mm-hmm. verse 16. But there, it's where you steal or sell a man, mm-hmm. sort of just any man, where here it's more specific, like we're talking about someone of the house of Israel, which is kind of strange, right? Yeah. Like, what? How, why would you kidnap a person of your people? But apparently, um, in uh, the ancient Near East, kidnapping or human trafficking, we would say, was not unusual. And so your your listeners may even think of uh, how Joseph's yeah. brothers treated him, right, in Genesis 37, and how they, you know— I. I always liked how Reuben sort of wanted to stand up for Joseph. well, let's not kill him let's just sell him, right. Right? Yeah, right um you know uh <laughs> but in fact here uh and, and and elsewhere, kidnapping is on par for murder mm. so that if you would kidnap someone, you were liable to to be executed and stoned yeah. and um. Because what, what would happen is they would kidnap someone to make money off of them, and they would, uh, for slave labor. Hmm. And so they would, like Joseph's brothers, sell the the one that they had kidnapped um, to an outside country. Yeah. Uh, very seldom would they keep them, because obviously then the evidence would be there. <laughs> and so, just as Joseph's brothers, right, they, they find the coat and they cover it with with the blood so dad thinks he's dead the the charge here really what what was what was common was that someone would kidnap a person sell him make money but then say well he's gone see so he yeah. must have died yeah and so they wouldn't know and so this is tantamount to murder because the person isn't there anymore right mm. he's he's gone yeah
0: Right. And I mean, just thinking as you brought up the history from Joseph and what his brothers do to him, this does fit right in with that. And although it doesn't specify in these exact verses, uh, you know, what the Lord will say later in this chapter about remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. I think it also provides good background for this. Remember how you were treated. You don't treat other people that way. And again, this is tantamount to murder. There's the death penalty involved. In verses 8 and 9, we're talking now about leprous diseases. This is one, in in my own mind, that really does kind of stand out uh, as—this one doesn't quite follow with some of these other ones. Uh, What's going on with the leprous disease and doing what the priests say in that case?
1: Yeah, so it's really—I mean, there's sort of a general application uh, to heed the word that the priests um, use— in their instruction, right? So, like, don't disregard the Levitical priests right. and their instruction. Uh, by the way, if you do, uh, remember how Miriam uh, was punished, right? And, and 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 your readers will want to remember, in Numbers 12, it was Miriam who actually complained about Moses. And this was Moses' sister, Miriam, who complained about Moses, grumbled against him like Israel was one to do, and the punishment was severe. Um, she was punished with leprosy, but her case was especially grotesque. In fact, in Numbers 12, 12 and 13,
0: uh,
1: uh, the prayer uh, from Moses is that, that she would no longer be uh, like a, a, a child who, whose skin has been eaten off, right? Like, yeah. um, and and so. If you do disregard the instruction of the word from the priests, uh, you may end up like Miriam. Hmm. It's sort of a warning here. And by the way, the positive is the instruction of the priests is for your good, sure. right? Just as Moses' leadership of the, the children of Israel was for their own redemption— <laughs> he had not, in fact, led them out of Israel to abandon them and leave them for dead.
0: Right, right, right. So, yeah, listen listen to the priest. It is for your good, and also the warning that is attached there by way of remembering what happened to Miriam. Now, in, in verse 10, then, again, this this is where it seems to pick back up on, on the theme of watching out for the good of your neighbor, particularly in an economic-financial sense. Uh, we're going, again, with the idea of loans and pledges in verses 10 and following— Moses talks about where you do this sort of business and then again, not keeping a pledge for a certain amount of time. Take us into this, this next section.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, if you have a loan, so it's, it's really kind of interesting. There seems to be this uh, encouragement to respect the household of your neighbor, right? Um, so that you don't, you're not going to go into his house, now, why would you want to go into his house? Well, what's going to be given in pledge is something that your neighbor owns, mm. right? And so, you know, human nature is, causes us—let uh, uh, me say that again—our sinful nature yeah. <laughs> causes us to sometimes be skeptical of our, of our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So, um, we were going to do this deal— But I got to go into your house, and I got to see that, like, you were holding out on me. Like, how in the world do you drive that car and park those (laughs) other ones in your garage? And, and, you know, you have all of the new stuff, you know, hanging on, whatever. You know, the new flat-screen TV on the, you know, whatever the case might be, right? So now I begin to doubt our deal and to think that it wasn't made in good faith. So, in fact, when you make uh, your neighbor alone you're not going to get to go into his house, but you're need to. you given to trust his word. You stand outside of the house, uh, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. So that's sort of general. But then even more specifically, um, if he's a poor man, you don't even get to keep the thing that he gives in a pledge that night. Hmm. And it seems to be that it was common to give a cloak or a garment that they would sleep in. Hence the reason that you give the man back the pledge so that he doesn't have to sleep in his nakedness. Mm. Right? But he's he's so you honor him by not causing him shame, but giving it back, right? Because finally, business is about service of neighbor hmm. and not taking advantage of neighbor so if the man is poor and this is going to be then the theme of the most of the rest of the chapter right like we're not going to delay in doing what is good for the person in need and here the man who is poor and you have a loan to he still needs to have honor and by the way he still needs to be kept warm at night yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, talk just, just briefly at least. Talk a little bit about that last phrase of verse thirteen, where Moses says, "It shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God." I, it seems that that would apply to what you were saying earlier about the preaching of sanctification that happens in Deuteronomy. How, do, how does that? What does that phrase mean?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so righteousness—the um, righteousness of God's people is the righteousness of faith, right? But it is a righteousness of faith that results in actions of love, right? And so uh, the reason that this ends up being righteousness for them is because in doing this for your neighbor, you're honoring him, and honoring him is an act of love, right? So in fact, it's love of neighbor uh, requires... Um, the the the, per, the the children of God uh, to to love your neighbor as you love yourself right mm. and this is the result of us trusting the people of God trusting the word of the Lord yeah. and that trust in the word of the Lord is faith yeah and that's credited then as righteousness
0: right um, right yeah. Yeah, no that, that that's helpful. I just think it's it's nice to see how like even within this preaching of sanctification you you have that nugget in there that really does help us to connect those two things together, the righteousness that is ours by faith, but then how that is lived out by the people of God by listening to his word, holding on to it, keeping it in their lives in these variety of ways that Moses is talking about. So in in verse 14 then, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Again a concern for the poor and, and how you pay him, even, in verse 15. Take us into those next two.
1: Yeah, good. Um, so you're going to want to pay him right away, uh, especially the poor, right? Um, the poor, uh, whether it's in ancient Israel or, or in our day, tend to live day by day. Mm. In fact, um, some people who appear not to be poor also live day by day, mm. Right. Uh, we know this in our in our day and age. Uh, many people uh, live on credit and um, don't actually have more in their bank than what they owe to creditors. And so, to delay in paying someone causes their whole livelihood, their whole household, to sort of become or be in jeopardy, right? And so, how you know how much more for the person in who is poor and is being paid daily bread, right? Uh, the daily wage for the work he has done. And with that wage, he's going to be able to eat. He's going to be able to go home and, and feed uh, his, his family. And so you don't hold that out on him. You, you give that to him, even though others, you may, you may pay weekly. You may pay in a, in a different sort of schedule. The poor person gets his wage, uh, the day he works,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. You you, you see, and just as a—I'm not sure that there's a theological connection to make here, but you do see this very thing happening in the parable that Jesus tells about the workers who are hired throughout the day to work Mm. in the vineyard. They're paid at the end of the day before the sun sets, right there at the end of the day. I'm not sure that there's a theological connection to make, but you do see how that principle does get used within the people of Israel. In verse 16, fathers don't get put to death because of their children and vice versa. Why does that need to be spelled out?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. So only the lawbreaker can receive the punishment that the lawbreaker deserves, right? So you cannot actually be punished for the sins uh, of your children. So if your children kidnaps, let's just use an example here in the in the chapter right so my son uh, who I've instructed in the way of the Lord and uh, who have been diligent to teach night and day uh, grows up and abandons the faith and he and he kidnaps uh, <laughs> someone you know a, a brother in Israel and he is therefore uh, deserving of capital punishment um, but he leaves and flees I can't be held accountable for the actions of my son. So I cannot be executed because of my son's sins. Mm, yeah. But you, but one shall be put to death only for, for his own
0: sin. Mm, right. right. And I mean, this, this principle gets repeated, say, like in the, oh, in Ezekiel. That uh, you know, I mean, the the what's the what's the saying that the fathers ate sour grapes with the children's ether teeth are set on edge. And Ezekiel talks about, you know, it is the soul who sins who will die. The The way you said it, you know, only the lawbreaker can receive the punishment that a lawbreaker deserves, or that breaking the law deserves. I, I found very striking, and it, it just it reminded me of the great importance then of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is like us in every way, so that he can actually receive the punishment that our lawbreaking deserves. He does so as a, a human being made like us in every way, except without sin so that he is that perfect substitute for us
1: yeah what's funny though is like you're exactly right but it's in reverse of this text Hmm. right right? so like when I was looking at this I was like I wrote that down on my notes only the lawbreaker can receive the punishment that the lawbreaker deserves and I was like wait a second (laughs) then how could Jesus be punished for me right because he's not the lawbreaker, he who knew no sin, right? But right. he becomes sin. But it's not the father being punished for the sins of the son. Yeah, it's the son who is punished in that case. Yeah, right. The father doesn't die on the cross.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Right. Right. right? It's it's so it's it's sort of now now I would not say that we're. Um, Jesus isn't the you know I don't want to get into the trinitarian. <laughs> that's right, sure, either, you sure, know, but yeah, yeah okay, but um, so in fact, it's not a breaking of Deuteronomy twenty four for Jesus to take our place.
0: That's right, that's right. He yeah. he is he is our yeah. brother. In fact, is the way that the the scriptures speak. If I mean, just to with the language of father yeah, and children good. here, yeah. he is our brother, yeah. like us in every way. So, so yeah. let's. Go ahead. And
1: maybe, maybe just a, another thought, right? So it is, it is, it does happen at times where corporate Israel is mm. punished for the sins of others, right? right. So the sins of Achan, right, uh, where he he is abusing office, right, and trying to take on the duties of someone of, of someone else, Well, all Israel plunges uh, into catastrophe and is culpable, right? Right, but. But, but so this isn't a sort of a prohibition against corporate Israel being judged or facing the wrath of God because of the sins of others. Right. And that also happens in Numbers 24, right, with the serpents, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Let's let's keep working our way through the text. We got about 8 minutes here to okay. to keep going. Okay. So, verse 17. And well, and, and really in the rest of the text, we see this this concern for a trio that shows up often in the Old Testament, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. Sometimes in that order, sometimes in a, a different order, but they are the particular concern for these last two sections. Take us into just verses 17 and 18 first.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, when, the, uh, so the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, right? Um, in order to treat them in love and or or justice, to use the language of of seventeen, and not to pervert the justice, we're going to have to remember that we once were slaves. That we that we once were, um, we had no one to provide for ourselves, right? Like we couldn't go work the ground. We, we, we were dependent uh, on, on, on the Lord, right? And so, also, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, they don't have a husband, they don't have someone to work for them, and so they're in that situation now. In, in some ways, you know, it's not a perfect uh, parallel here, but it's like, you who have received mercy, how can you not be merciful to others? You know, you think of the unmerciful servant of Matthew 18, right, who has received so much mercy uh, from the Master, but then isn't merciful to others. So Israel is to remember the great mercy of the Lord in bringing brought out of redemption and provided for, that that is then how they are to treat those who are needy in in their midst. Mm,
0: Right, right. And here's where we do get the specific reference twice in these last couple of verses, to remember that you were slaves, the Lord redeemed you, now, how here's how you put that into pra- that reality. Here's how it affects your life within the Promised Land. Uh, verses 19 through 22 then particularly speak to the matter of how you reap or, or collect your olive harvest and leaving something there again to to care for these particular these three particular groups. What does Moses say there at the the last few verses of this of this text?
1: Yeah, good. So uh, basically. Uh, it's not just what they were given previously, that when they harvest or reap, they're going to reap not all the way to the edge of the field, but they're going to leave some for those who are hungry, for the needy, the alien, the fatherless, the widow. But here, the mercy is multiplied. Hmm. So not only are they going to leave the edges of the fields, but if they leave bundles behind. You know, Uh I love June here in Coal Camp Missouri because I I love to to see the round bales in the fields. Mm. I mean it's it's just beautiful, right? Yeah. And so it would be like the farmer intentionally you know leaving behind mm. the the bales that didn't fit on the last wagon. Right? Well, we're not going to come back and get those. Not only did they intentionally not um, bale all of the hay for, the, for those who needed hay for their own cows or something like that, but mm. now the extra bales that we've already baled, we're going to leave behind for them also. So in fact, Deuteronomy 24 multiplies the mercy that had already been given earlier in the Torah, and it and is
0: it, and wonderful here. Mm. Right. It certainly is. I mean, you, you see, and I, I think it, it may be in the other place. I think it's in Leviticus where, where the, this, you, you mentioned not reaping to the edge. I, yeah. I forget exactly where, but this is I, somewhere. I believe the Lord says, this is actually how he provides for these people that yeah, this is. And so if, if they end up, you know, reaping twice or going back or, you know, going and getting the hay bale that they left, that's actually stealing from what the Lord is trying to give to these very people.
1: That's exactly right. So I think it's Leviticus nineteen, right? Um, but it's it's so like so the Lord God actually, by His Torah, by His instructions, has given order to His people, and in that order, His people become a blessing uh, to those who are less fortunate. Mm, yeah, um, and and. and so the, the Lord, you know, it was, the word of God was never just about Israel. Mm. Yeah. It was always also about the foreigner, the, 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 the one less fortunate, the alien. Right. And, yeah. and, and so God was always concerned about how Israel would be a blessing to the nations. Mm. Yeah. And this is one example here. Yeah. And we see this in Ruth, right? Right. So in fact, Boaz is a reaper, and he and he and he leaves extra bundles. Mm. So, right, he knowing that that uh, Ruth is going to get them. Mm. It's kind of fascinating here. So, Boaz fulfills Deuteronomy twenty-four.
0: Right, right. Well, and, and then, of course, through through the, what happens with Ruth and Boaz, that's the Lord preserving the line of the Christ, that the, the promise mm-hmm. of the seed is preserved because the people keep this word or through the word that God gave, he preserves that line of the seed. With just about a minute here, Pastor Chewy, again, a variety of things. Help us to, to wrap this text up. And, and how how does a text like this point us toward Christ?
1: Yeah, good. So verse 18 is critical, and you pointed us to others Um, that are repeated here right so Yahweh the God of Israel has already redeemed them that is purchased them through the blood of the Passover lamb he has brought them through the Red Sea waters and baptized them into Moses so now also we have been purchased redeemed by the blood of Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've been baptized into Christ through the waters of holy baptism. And so texts like this now, as we know we are God's people, saved by grace through faith in the promise of Christ, the Lord instructs us in love how to treat our neighbor. And so we ought not be scared of these sort of chapters or sanctification preaching or instruction in love um we also want to understand the context so this was old testament israel we we aren't i don't have millstones in my house right <laughs> and so we need to apply this in our day in an appropriate way but god's people actually love his instruction we're we're not afraid of it we want to know how to love my neighbor that i am called to love my neighbor is a given right But God's instruction on how to love my neighbor, and if this scenario presents itself, how might I treat him or her, this is what God is doing for his people uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 24, and it's what he does for us through all of Scripture, uh, especially like the epistles, for example, or Jesus' instructions in the Gospel today.
0: Pastor Greg Truy serves at Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri, helping us today with Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 22. Pastor Truly, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thanks for having me. God bless.
0: I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.